How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> I, God damn it. Uh, Skype, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Um, everything. Uh, yeah. and, then, and then it gave me this weird, like, not native Skype sound. Um, do you have this issue where every time you stop a podcast, um, all of the settings for the podcast on audio go revert back to, like, some archaic setting like like i have to go in before our our podcast to change not only the preferences audio video preferences or settings in skype but also on my computer to like the the road podcaster every time every time it's crazy no and the only problem that i have had is which is the same problem that i had prior to the the last podcast is i'm still trying to get this uh the the loopback audio and um, the um, um, uh, 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 I want to say Farage, but that's uh, but that's Nigel Farage. Nigel. That's something different. Anyway, the um, yeah the, uh, the 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 drum machine, not drum machine. The um, uh, soundboard, the soundboard. Uh, yeah. comical uh, you know uh, drive time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. I, I that I want. Um, and, and I've been going back and forth with the good folks at Rogue Amoeba Tech Support, and they keep suggesting things, and none of those things are working. So, so of course, I, what was I doing? I didn't learn my lesson from last time. I was fiddling with all that stuff. But the good news is I'm getting a lot more comfortable around the audio you know, set up on the comp- on my computer. And so I could f- break it and then I, I could fix it faster. So oh, that's good. So, yeah. And, and it turns out there's like, there's the other, uh, like there's something else in system preferences where you go into sound, um, and you can, you can fiddle with that stuff. And I used to have an app that would sit in my menu bar that I think is, doesn't work anymore. So it doesn't load, but it was a great, it was a great app. It looked like a pair of headphones and you, you could just click it. It would be in the menu bar. You could just click it and you could say, Hey, set the, the audio input to this and set the audio output to that. And I would just double check all that. But, but no, I, but the short answer is no, I don't have that problem where everything resets. Ugh. Um, are you doing anything else funky with audio besides recording a podcast because it's sh- th- those settings should be sticky. Yeah. So I, I mean, I guess I do, I don't do anything funky other than I use my wireless earphones, either my AirPods or my, um, the beats wireless ones that I have, uh, to listen to music or to you know watch sling TV or whatever. So I, and I'm definitely doing that in the interim between our podcasts, but it seems like, what should happen is when I plug my um, microphone in, and it, my my computer should say, oh, I recognize that you are plugging your microphone in. That must mean that you're doing a podcast. So let me change all of the audio settings. But, of course, yeah. that's not how it works. Well, and I discovered something really interesting with respect to the, the Loopback app. And that is that if I if I configure the app with my with my Rode Podcaster plugged into one of the ports, if I change it to a different port, it it thinks the Rode Podcaster is not there. Oh, which I guess kind of makes sense because you would want it to know if there are multiple Rode Podcasters on multiple ports, you would want to handle those separately, right? Um, so that's neither here nor there, but it just points to the complexity of of, of audio. Uh. Yeah, and it's just a pain. Yes. Um. Anyway, not no. We're here. We got it. We got it figured out. Got it. Yeah, we're good. Are you? Uh, 
you, you having like a uh, nor'easter up there? What do you what do you got? You got a got some excitement? Yeah, north northeast, northwest, whatever it takes. What are, um, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 pretty crappy. Yeah, it's uh, it, it rained all last night. It's raining all day today. Um, I, I was I was alarmed because uh, when I when I was driving to work, I saw two uh, two signs uh, over the highway saying uh, heavy rains and high winds avoid unnecessary travel. And I thought to myself, huh. I wonder if going to work is unnecessary travel, it, um, but it, it, ins- it could have been. You could, yeah. Hopefully. So anyway, uh, but I but I drove carefully. Uh, I you know I kept a safe following distance, and uh, I made it here okay. And you know I'll, I should make it home okay too. Well, be yeah, be be careful with your uh, with your travel uh, with your driving on the way back. It I can report here that uh, in the southeaster uh, part of the of, of the country. Um, there is not one cloud in the sky that I can see outside of my office window, but it is crazy windy. Mm. Um, like trees are moving. And as I was uh, driving to campus earlier today, uh, all the, uh, um, stoplights were all swinging all over the place. And, um, yeah, it was a little bit, uh, it was a little disconcerting. Uh, I was thinking we may have, uh, we may, maybe in tornado time here. Uh, but it's, and it's cold. It's been so warm and now it is not, not, not warm at all. We, I think it's, I, I sure hope that, um, winter is over. And also I hope that you don't get, um, you know, nine feet of water, um, on the Jersey shore. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 really uh, it's very uh, it's very it's it's it hasn't the wind hasn't picked up too much. But now, um, because it, apparently it's also cold here, we have it's not really snowing, but it, it's I guess I would call it sleeting. So there are large white particles that are flying not not uh, not horizontally, but not vertically past my window. Um, and then and then they're hitting my my window in my office and they are turning into uh, rain. So, yeah, it's huh. not nice. That's not good. Not good at all. Um, so, uh, I, so there, you and I have seen each other, um, this week already and I'm going to see in, you again, in real life, in real life. And I'm going to see you again on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of cool. I, I never, um, at no point when I saw you in real life today or this week did I think, Hey, we should do a podcast in real life. Okay. <laughs> you know, like here, like, like I, I, I enjoy well, you know, I like it when we do a, do the, the live ones, um, in front of an audience, but I never thought, Oh, you and I are here. We're staying, you know, we're at the same spot. What if just during lunch we went and recorded a podcast? Um, I didn't, I didn't have that feeling. Uh, I just no, 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 but but I but I do have to report like in early, uh, early, uh, uh, earlier versions of this podcast, we would report that when we saw each other in real life, it was weird that I've gotten over that. It's not like I can have like I can see that there's the band that I do the podcast with and there's the band I see in real life. And it's okay. Like, I I don't know if they're probably the same person, but it's not weird anymore when I see you in real life, which is good. Yeah, yeah. it could be. um, Well, and also this time we didn't sit beside each other. So, yeah, that was weird. Why didn't you sit by me? I, well, it's it's actually a better question for you. I was in the room first. I got there so early, put my stuff down. I came in. You uh, already you you'd taken some other spot. I I don't I don't I was, think so. I, I, I can assure you that when my flight flight landed at seven a.m. <laughs> and I was in the room at seven ten. Uh, or at least my flight landed at six fifty, and I got on the Sky Train and got there by seven ten. You were not there; it was it was just me, 
and uh, and our IAFP friends. All right. Well, when when I when I went into the room, I did not see you. Right. And then and then uh, and then when I went back out to get um, my name badge or my or or breakfast or coffee or something, um, then uh, then I saw you. So. Yes. And I had already been there. Uh, but, uh, that's all right. We, and this is, and this is fat. This is, this is podcast gold, Ben. I, you know, the, uh, yeah. the, the listeners are like, oh my gosh, please tell us more about where you were in the room when you, when you, uh, <laughs> were not doing a podcast when we weren't there. Uh, yeah, true. it's true. This makes, makes for really good radio. Um, uh, well, so we, we were, uh, we should probably tell people why we were together. Um, I, I think, I don't think it's like, uh, you know, we did, uh, un, unpublic knowledge or private knowledge. We, we were doing a, a thing where we were providing some feedback, um, to, uh, some folks on, uh, food safety funding for research. And, yeah. and we got invited to, um, to be part of a, I guess, like a stakeholder group. And there were some folks from the industry and there were folks from, um, uh, government organizations, um, some regulatory folks, uh, some non-regulatory folks and, um, and other, uh, you know, other researchers. And we all got together for a day and, um, and we're talking about, um, the, uh, uh, USDA, uh, research funding, uh, to provide some feedback. So. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, we, we, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. It was a. It was a very interesting day, and I and thanks to the folks at RTI and uh, Ohio State for inviting us because it was really, you know, it's like I didn't. Apparently, there was a list of attendees that was given out uh, that we were we received prior to the meeting, but but um, I didn't actually look at it. And then it's like all these like really famous people kept like walking into the room. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, there's a lot of this is a really good. This is a really good crowd. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was the it was uh, some food safety who, who who's who. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, and we also got to uh, hang out, and I got to hang out further with a friend of the show, a friend of the pod, friend of the podcast, uh, Michael Batts, um, and who I did sit beside, which is probably not the greatest thing because all we did. Um, every time someone said something, we would just make jokes back to back and forth to each other, not to like take away from what the other people were saying, just because we're, we're jokesters. And, uh, one of the jokes that we made over and over again was the answer to everything is uh, blockchain. Yes. Uh, yes. And a couple of times, uh, a couple of times you actually said that out loud. So everybody in the room could hear it. And yeah. uh, I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I, but I, what, what my one regret from that, well, one, a couple of regrets from that meeting, one, not getting to have dinner with you guys, although I did have, uh, uh, appetizers and drinks with, uh, with Mike, uh, the, the first night, but you guys were at least from where I was sitting, you seemed to be dressed in identical outfits. Now I realized Ooh. later that you had checked shirts that were not the same color, but I really wanted to get a picture of you guys <laughs> in your max, matching check shirts, but I did not, I did not accomplish that. Oh, that's, I noticed, I, I did notice that, uh, that Mike had a very nice check shirt that I admired, um, mainly because that's my, uh, that's my style, uh, but button down check shirts, um, or as I'm wearing right now, uh, a, a t-shirt, um, one, that says on one side of it, tomato and the other side vinegar. And it's a map of North Carolina. That's my other, other favorite thing to wear. Which, which is now that's like the second time this particular article of clothing has come up on the podcast, I Abs- think. Absolutely. And it's one of my favorite T-shirts to wear at uh, IAFP receptions. Uh, so people stare at it and, and think, what, what is that all about? And it's, uh, it's about barbecue. 
Um, I, I mean, who who asks that? Who what what uh, sort of food luddite would would not know this f- food uh, unsavvy person would not know? I mean, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, it's about barbecue. It's about barbecue, barbecue sauce. Yeah. yeah. I I also have another barbecue uh, shirt because you know North, North Carolina is really into barbecue. Um, I have a shirt that that I don't believe I wore uh, at IFP last year, but I will debut this year. Um, and I'm, I maybe you know what you may see it on me on Sunday, Don. It is a shirt that says "Beef Ain't Barbecue," um, and I, I know, yeah, I know it's it's a bold statement, especially um, what, you know, when when showing uh, people from the Midwest who are very much into their beef barbecue. Um, I yeah, I have a shirt that says uh, "Beef Ain't Barbecue," uh, implying that there is only one type of barbecue, and that is pork barbecue. Wow! Yeah, wow! Uh, that is a that is a that is a controversial statement. It is, and I I will. Uh, I will um, uh, definitely uh, support that. I, I'll eat some beef barbecue. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I will call it brisket. <laughs> I will not. I will right. not refer to it as barbecue. What if you put barbecue sauce on it? That's just brisket and barbecue sauce. Brisket and barbecue sauce, exactly. Well, oh. if you if you if you Google tomato vinegar North Carolina and then do a Google image search, there's a lot of delightful images. Um, and I I can't even pick which one to link to. So we're just going to link to the image page. I think. Okay, that's a, that sounds good. Um, I, uh, uh, let's see. Hockey season's over, Don. I'm very excited. I we talked about this last time. Well, I, I know, but I'm still reveling. You're still excited about I'm it. I'm still okay. reveling in this because, uh, I, I realized it yesterday. Thursday night, I, I returned home from, um, uh, Atlanta and I'm going to talk, talk a little bit more about what I was doing there after I, I left you in a minute. Uh, and I got home at three 30. Uh, my kids came home from school and you know what we did? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing of consequence. I went to the grocery store. Um, we hung out at home. I did not shuttle anybody to a practice. Uh, tomorrow morning, I will wake up whenever I damn well care, not uh, in, in preparation to go to a hockey practice. And I'm, I will, I'm, I'm going to milk this for the next four or five months. Um, well, I think you're. I think you're. But your wife posted something. I think it was. I think it was uh, 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 Danny that posted on Facebook something about being very happy uh, that your boys are both playing lacrosse because yes. uh, it it doesn't happen early in the morning and they they go at the same time. Yes. Um, so uh, yeah, so that's pretty cool. It is very cool. It's very cool. So uh, I feel refreshed. That's what I'm saying. I I woke up this morning. I had multiple things uh, on my. Um, OmniFocus uh, task list to do, and I banged a bunch off before we uh, got on the pod today. Um, so hey, I'm, let's hey, I'm let's talk good. about OmniFocus because I have recently um, rededicated myself to OmniFocus, and so I but but uh, and for and we'll link to uh, we'll link to the website for um, Omni Group um, if you if you are on the Mac platforms and you need a to do list manager and you want a really really good one uh, that that is got like maybe too many bells and whistles, uh, OmniFocus, uh, highly recommended. So I, I had developed this very bad habit of kind of letting my, to, and welcome to, uh, um, productivity uh, talk, productivity talk yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is already a, a name of a podcast, I think. Um, uh, uh, I had developed a very bad habit of keeping, um, working from my email inbox and then also my brain and sort of half-assing it through OmniFocus. And I recently rededicated myself. And so what I really – I try to do is I try to get everything out of my email inbox, which means that some of it just ends up going to my Omni 
focus inbox. Um, but that's, but, and then, but then I have to like go into my OmniFocus inbox and clean that up and yeah. get my list clean. And I'm still, I still have the very bad habit of putting to do list, putting due dates on things that are not actual due dates, but I figure like one step at a time, right? At least I'm keeping my, my email inbox clean. All of my work that I have to do is in OmniFocus. It's not optimal, but it's, it's like better than it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the other problem that I have in OmniFocus, and this is there's a great thing that Merlin says uh, uh, you keep in compost in your CRISPR drawer, right? And there is so much compost in the CRISPR drawer that is my OmniFocus. I have like s- stuff that goes back like a long, long time. Um, and but for the most part, I still think that someday I might want to do that stuff. But as long as it's not and OmniFocus is great because it's not in my face. It just happens to be in the OmniFocus file, right. but it's not in my face. And so as long as I keep it out of my face, I'm happy. I'm comfortable having it there. But I've got I've got uh, stuff in there from uh, a to do app that I was using before I migrated everything to Omni uh, OmniFocus. So it's uh, there's a, just a lot of cruft that could be easily gotten rid of, not easily. That's the problem. It couldn't be easily gotten rid of. It could have been gotten rid of through some, some careful deliberation. But for now, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pleased with, with what I'm doing and I, and I'm, I'm, I wanted to, to talk about it here uh, with you. So that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, no, that's good. I, so I'm going to tell you now that we're in workflow mode, I'm going to tell uh-huh. you that I'm using three different things right now and it seems to be working. So is, is one of the things things? No, one of the things is not things. <laughs> uh, one of the things is OmniFocus, but that's for me. That is, those are my tasks. So there's certain things on there like go get an oil change, or um, like sign the kids up for something. Um, but those are uh, those are my uh, and and a lot of my tasks on answer someone's email or send somebody my bio. You know those the the I'm using yep. OmniFocus for smaller tasks. Um, I'm, we're, my whole group is using something that used to be called Dapulse, which was a fantastic name. Uh, so fantastic that the company decided to change the name because it was terrible. Uh, and now it's called monday.com and it's a group OmniFocus project management, uh, platform. So all of our, all of our big projects are on that where we've got multiple people with different owners, and priorities and it just keeps all the tasks uh correct so sometimes some of those tasks go into my OmniFocus, which is not the thing that with monday.com at least i haven't i haven't spent enough time figuring this out it doesn't talk to OmniFocus um selectively like i could dump everything into omni uh but that's not what i want to do all i want to do is take my tasks into omni um so I'm, we're using that for a bunch of like pretty much all of our, our big projects and moving thing, things forward. And then I got really invested three weeks ago, reinvested, I guess, in Slack. Um, I started using Slack maybe in 2015 and then it died. And now I've got really three distinct working groups within my program and Slack has been really fantastic on being able to keep our group conversations straight. And it acts, I mean, for those who haven't used Slack, I mean, it acts like a group text, but it has a really robust searchable history and you can add files um, and, and URLs into it. So it's, it's much, I find it much better for 
um, being able to scroll back and be like, okay, what did we talk about? Um, as opposed to an email string and it's all in one, like one screen that I can scroll up and down. So we're, so I'm using all these things right now as, uh, um, as we're managing these projects and in a way that I'm pretty happy about. Well, and, and I think it's okay to, to use multiple things as long as you know, like where everything goes, right? Yeah. In other words, um, if it's your tasks, it's in OmniFocus. If it's the group stuff, it's in more Monday, formerly DePulse. And if it's communications with people, it's in Slack, right? Exactly. I mean, that's, yeah. And I, you know, people love to talk about Slack and, and how great it is. And I have a Slack account. I just don't actually use it for anything uh, because I don't have anybody I want to talk to on Slack, right? It's either text messages um, with my graduate students or my family, um, or my, yeah, or, or, or group text with people that are, that are on iOS, like you and Michelle and Linda. But other than that, I don't have any real reason to use Slack. Um, but again, people talk about it and they love it. And there are people have like, you know, people are not really like people, things that people used to communicate before on Twitter there, they now have Slack channels for that. Right. And, and so, I mean, clearly it, it's working for people. It's just, it just, uh, there's just not a particular reason why I, I need it. Yeah, yeah. No. And I, I hadn't needed it until I it, really, until we, I started looking at the stuff that we're doing as, as separate work groups. Um, and it, I, it, it's just helped me manage those communications in, you know, so I, I sort of have three separate teams of folks that are working on different projects. We have um, one group that's doing all of our observation project work that we're doing um, with RTI and USDA FSIS. And that's a big, a big team. There are a couple of graduate students, um, a, a couple of um, extension or uh, research associates and, um, and staff members that are on that. And there's like lots of moving parts there. And all that communication doesn't really need to spill over into the other pieces of the, of the program that, that we have. So we've got, um, uh, three area specialized agents that are working in food safety. that are doing extension work with our agents and, and building this information center. Um, and then I have kind of the day-to-day -day management of all the other little projects, um, that two other, um, staff members are, are doing. And, and the, what Slack's helping me do is keep all of that straight. Um, and not, and, and not, you know, I don't know if you do this thing where, he, I, you know, I do research in communication, but I'm not really a fantastic communicator, like in keeping things oh, straight. Oh, Ben, no, you're a great communicator. I, I think I'm an okay communicator when it comes to like telling people about food safety. I think I'm not great or an area that I need to improve on is when I have some sort of information that others would benefit from in my group, I might tell one or two and then have this assumption that I told one or two. And that means I've, I've passed it out, right? Like I've done my job and then it may not filter to everyone else. And Slack is helping me with that where I can remember what I'm telling people because <laughs> I'm doing well, it by text. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's kind of how I use email, right? Is like, well, if I didn't, if I didn't have a, a written down conversation, like a, an email conversation with somebody, I just don't remember stuff. Right. Um, and so, but that's how I use email. So how do you, 
So, so you st- obviously still use email. Yeah. Um, but, but if it's for one of these three projects where there is a Slack group for that project, then you just, you know, that it just goes in that group. It doesn't go in email. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So it, that, that's what I'm trying to force myself to do. And with Slack, you can create channels, which are essentially threads. So if we have a one-off kind of project, and in fact, I had one, um, uh, and I say project, that's the way I'm looking at it, a, a, a set of tasks that are specific to one topic area. We had um, a, a couple of weeks ago um, some conversations about washing and cleaning tables in um, uh, cafeterias, in, in schools, and from an allergen standpoint and from spreading norovirus. And so Natalie and I, Natalie, who's um, an extension associate, she and I were like, okay, this is our task. Let's have our entire allergen tables conversation all in one spot where we can pull together all the references, um, sort of keep each other updated on who we're talking to and, and develop what our, um, what our plans are all in one specific like hashtag channel. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I I think it's, I think it's working. Um, I'm doing less of that kind of conversation in email or in text. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's, there's productivity work for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. I mean, I, you know, it's good to hear how other people are using tools and stuff. And, and it's also good to not like, you know, and they, there's been a, some a, a, some recent conversations. I guess maybe it was on reconcilable differences. Merlin's been talking. You know, he sort of goes in in cycles of when he talks about productivity stuff. And he, he did they did a deep dive on uh, reconcilable differences, the show that he does with um, John Syracuse, and and then it spilled over to some other shows, including his nominal productivity show, Back to Work, as well as um, uh, Do by Friday. So anyway, yeah, good stuff. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I'm speaking of productivity. For whatever reason, right now, um, my uh, my text messaging is not uh, uh, my iMessage on my computer is not working. It's, Whoa! Yeah, it's telling me like my phone's working fine, but it, so uh, yeah. If you happen to text me or I'll text you, it'll be from my phone. Uh, oh, because it's not. Yeah, you know that's I. I yeah, I, I don't. I don't always. Un, that's yeah. It's, that's one of those things that is broken. Uh, yeah, so fix that Apple. I know that we have a lot of uh, Apple engineers that listen to this podcast. Please, so. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if everybody's having this problem, but it's like all names are red. There's no. There's no green or blue on my iMessage. No, it's bad. It's bad oh, stuff. Anyway, that's, that's bad. That's bad. Um, hey, so uh, we will we will also link to so that there was it was on reconcilable differences, and so we will link to episode seventy two, which has the great title, the seventh alarm clock. Um, uh, and listen to Merlin and John talk about uh, productivity. Um, it's uh, it's good if you if you if you don't know Merlin Mann, if you don't know um, John Syracuse, if you don't know reconcilable differences, um, it's a it's a it's a it's a good it's a good podcast, and it's uh, it's this one is particularly good if you're interested in productivity. Awesome. Um, so I want to tell you, Oh, first thing, there's something that I'm watching that I really like that, um, that I haven't watched before, uh, before Monday, which is, uh, a, used to be a YouTube, uh, show that Jerry Seinfeld was running, but is now an actual Netflix show called comedians in cars getting coffee. (laughs) Have you heard of this? You know, I I type I went to type into the um, the the uh, the the 
safari bar uh, comed, and it, and it's uh, auto completed comedians in cars getting coffee. So well, there you go. I have I have heard of it, and apparently so has uh, uh, Safari. Yes, uh, it's it's quite good. I have not watched uh, the start of it. Um, I'm trying to think which is the first season that I've watched. Uh, the first show was oh yeah. There's all there's many seasons that I've never seen. Um, it, I saw ones with, um, it's not even on the Wikipedia. I'll have to figure this out. Uh, uh, Alec Baldwin and Jim Carrey and, uh, Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon. It's quite good. So check it out. It's just the, the people hanging out. It's kind of like, um, a podcast, uh, format, uh, a yep. little bit. And, uh, they're just, uh, hanging out uh, in a car or uh, in the case of Jimmy Fallon on a boat and uh, they go um, to uh, uh, places to go get coffee. Oh, they're there. They're in different, oh, they're in different seasons. The Netflix ones. I have to go back and watch the YouTube ones. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, but that's, I mean, you know, that's the, that's the premise of the show. It's uh, comedians in, in mostly in cars, uh, mostly getting coffee. And yeah, and I've heard good things about this. And I've watched. I think I might have seen uh, bits and pieces. But uh, yeah, these are these are these are funny people. Hey, that reminds me though of something that I, I put into the show notes, which is something uh, that we've been watching. Um, and the the most recent episode um, we watched last night, which was absolutely delightful, and that is uh, the uh, it's not really rebooted, but the the latest season of X Files. Oh yeah. And the and what made me want to put it into the show is that I don't, I won't I won't blow the the I won't blow the the the, the plot but basically this the show starts with um, uh, Mueller uh, Mueller Mueller uh, Fo- yeah Fox yeah Mueller oh wait wait uh, weird um, Mulder Mulder, Mulder and Scully. Yes. Um, in Mueller, it's a different, it's a different, different FBI guy. Um, uh, Mulder and Scully in a sushi restaurant, uh, getting sushi. Um, and then, uh, this is only a little bit spoilery. Uh, it turns out when, uh, uh, Fox goes into the kitchen to complain about his meal, um, there's only robots in the kitchen. And so that just made me think of, uh, CF, CFP and, uh, robots, uh, robots in the kitchen. So anyway, Oh, that's, that's, I, I, I just thought, and it, and it's, it, it's a great, I mean, it's a it's a it's a good show. They've they've I think to, in my mind they've captured a lot of the um, the feeling of the earlier show. Except uh, you know it's just David Duchovny and um, uh, uh, what's her name are just really old now. But but it's it it they do they they do capture the feeling of the old the old show quite uh, quite nicely. So that is awesome. I have really um, I really enjoyed uh, X Files back back in the in the day. Um, but I have not watched any of the reboot, so I'm gonna. I'll check it out. Well, at least watch this episode just for no other reason than um, uh, it's the, the great scene where they uh, with with robots in the kitchen. So okay, good. I will do that. Um, there we go. Look at this. I think I know how to turn my uh, iMessage back on. It seems nice. To, yeah. Um, so oh, there you go. My Apple ID or password was incorrect. Well, that's that's a problem. There we go. I got it. Um, so uh, I was going. I, there's something else to watch that I have not watched, but it just just breaking news uh, this morning. Um, uh, Food safety news uh, posted about a Netflix documentary that is called Wild Wild Country, and it tells uh, the story of. And I will totally butcher this. 
uh, the Bagwan Sri Rajneesh. Oh, and the uh, largest, in Oregon. Yeah, in Oregon. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I'm all about documentaries. Um, I think this is one of the more fascinating stories in food safety. Um, yeah, the there are two truths in the world of food safety, Don. One is if you're teaching HACCP, you have to mention NASA and Pillsbury. And number two is if you're talking about bioterrorism, you have to mention this plot, this plan. Absolutely. Um, yes. And so I recently read a really great um, – oh, we'll have to find this – a really great um, retrospective on this uh, that I think was in the one of the Oregon newspapers, the Portland Herald maybe. Um, or yeah, something like that. And then, uh, I'll, I'll look forward to, to watching this, uh, documentary called wild, wild country. That's coming out, uh, uh, later this month, uh, on, on the, uh, on the Netflix March 16th. Cool. I'm, I'm, I'm adding it to, uh, I'm adding it to my Netflix list. Oh, very good. Very good. Um, so I wanted to, to jump into some, some other food safety stuff and, uh, to give you the update, my, um, my iMessage is working now. Um, so uh, I, after you and I spent a day on Tuesday talking about um, funding things, I went to uh, the um, uh, Georgia affiliate of uh, IAFP, the Georgia Association for Food Protection. I went and spoke at their annual meeting, which was held at the uh, Coca-Cola headquarters in Atlanta and um, had a great really great time. And, um, for, for two reasons, well, multiple reasons. One is I got to hang out, um, with Wendy White, a friend of the podcast, um, and a friend in real life, uh, for a couple of days. Um, I got to hang out with a bunch of folks at Coca-Cola and at, um, and people in the state of Georgia. Um, too many to, to mention them all, but, um, lot, you know, lots of good, good friends there, but the, biggest reason, Don, that it was awesome is that I got to spend um, part of two days listening to Don Zink tell stories. And I we've mentioned Don before. You, you know, you and I have talked about it. I, this, this individual, this man, is the most compelling food safety storyteller I I have have listened to. I I he 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 spoke for um for an hour on Wednesday and then he and I actually gave um a, a, another talk each um internally uh, to some Coca-Cola folks yesterday and I could just I could just listen to him for for hours. In fact, as I was listening to him tell stories about his time at Nestle and at Campbell and at FDA, um all I thought about was well, two things. One, I would love, I'd love podcasts that, that I would love us either to do this, but we may not actually do this, but just to have a podcast where we have someone like Don or Carl Custer, um, or Pete Snyder on just to talk about historical perspective and all the things that they've like taken in over their years. And then the second thing I'd like to do is I think someone needs to write a book like where 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 they're inter, when where they interview these these individuals. And there's a bunch of them out there. I mean those I've just mentioned 3 but holy crap it was just so fascinating um to to hear his uh, just his experience and and where where that seats him today in 
what's happening in the world of food safety. I mean, just so, so awesome. So, and I didn't really, I've never really like, I mean, I, I heard him uh, speak um, at IAFP a couple of times and he delivered an Ivan Parkin lecture and I've had lunch with him, but just, just to sit back and listen to him for an hour um, in, in a small setting, it's the first time that I've had a chance to do that. And I was so, I'm just blown away. Yeah, I really enjoy the the time that we spent on the IAFP board together because there were there were those opportunities just to to chat with him and he has such a, a wide ranging experience, right? And he's done so many different things and he knows uh, as they say where the bodies are buried, right? And so he's just got a very good and he's he's, he's played uh, he's played in all the fields, right? He was he started off uh, in academia. Uh, he worked um, in the industry, he ended his career in government and now retired and back uh, you know consulting with IEH. And so, yeah, just a really, um, uh, really, really interesting uh, individual. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody should do like a Roderick on the line uh, style show where they just call up Don Zink every week and, and put it on the internet. Uh, because he, he, I'm sure he has stories that are every bit the equal to, to, to John Roderick's story. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's it, it, true. And, and then someone should do a Netflix style documentary where it's, um, uh, food safety people in cars getting coffee. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should start a podcast, Ben. You know we that? should. We yeah. We we should do. We should do this. We should do a podcast. Um. So uh, la- last piece uh, of info from my um my trip to Georgia is uh, Don. People like the podcast. I just you know I I, I mention it in all my uh in all my talks and um you know ultimately every time I go somewhere there are two or three people who have not met before who who come up and say you know i've been listening to the podcast for a while um i really really enjoy it um and that's i mean that's just super it's just super cool um to to get that kind of you know feedback so um yeah so we we should probably keep doing this yeah, and and keep promoting it too, right? Because I, I I it's kind of for a while I was like forgetting to do it. Um, uh, well, first I was embarrassed to do it, and then I was forgetting to do it, and now I'm like I just something I just do, right? It's just like I guess I got to make sure that whatever whenever I'm talking, uh, I make a little I make a little pitch, right? And in fact, there was even somebody I, I think I told you I was giving uh, some lectures in Intro to Food Micro, um, and there was a a person that uh, like I I quizzed the class on podcasts, and there was uh, one uh, young lady uh, who said uh, she listened, and I'm like oh. Oh, that's 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 amazing, and, and I and now I feel really bad that uh, I didn't ask her her name and and talk to her more. But anyway, so if uh, mysterious food science uh, uh, undergrad who listens to the podcast, uh, let me know who you are, and uh, <laughs> you know I I, I promise uh, I promise I won't be creepy. Uh, but uh, yeah, let let uh, say say hello, you know, so uh, send us a message. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and shout out just a final thing to um, Katie Satchwell from Coca Cola and the Georgia uh, Association for Food Protection who handled all the logistics for both days and um, was was my host. And also Steve Kenny uh, from Coca-Cola, who I've known for a really long time. Um, but yeah, they made um, made the, the trip really, really pleasant and, and just so so uh, professional and welcoming. And yeah, it was it was a really, really great time. I was, I was super impressed. Um, and Katie shared Katie's from um, Edmonton and she shared with me that um, her um, her partner is also it does not is not in the food safety world I don't think but listens to our podcast because every once oh. in a while we talk about uh, hockey and uh, and he likes hockey. <laughs> this is the wrong this is the wrong <laughs> podcast to listen to if you're looking for information about hockey. I, I love it. It's good. You. 
So, um, yeah. So another another Canadian uh, who has migrated uh, to the U.S. to take over silently, like uh, like many of our friends of the podcast. Um, uh, yeah, Katie's uh, also a University of Alberta grad, uh, like uh, our good friend Michelle Danilock, and uh, and our good friend uh, Linda Harris. So, right? There Linda went to yeah. Alberta. Yeah. Well, she downloads. Um, yeah. Right. Right. Hey, so so speaking of which, we should we've got a bunch of listener feedback. Do you want to uh, you want to get into yeah, that? Yeah, let's jump in. So let's let's take it in a reverse chronological order. So um, <laughs> the uh, uh, it's uh, it's from uh, Chris Stone, uh, who is a sentient microbe on on Twitter. He says, uh, please uh, share all details freely. Um, he's talking about the last episode, Vegas Baby. Um, he says, uh, I especially uh, was excited by the spice risk profile. Um, his uh, food manufacturing experience was in dry spice packaging. Um, uh, he said, you know, this is and he shares this is anecdotal, uh, a sample size of one. One means little, but he used to run a micro lab um, for a nutritional supplement manufacturer. And he says he can say from firsthand experience that the input materials are generally filthy from a microbiological point of view. Um, and he says, while we, we, his company, focused on suppliers who had controls and good QA, we occasionally rejected input materials uh, for failing the manufacturer's own micro limits. Uh, most common hits were for salmonella. Uh, positive on McConkie, but later ID to something else, or just massive uh, 10 to the ninth uh, total aerobic uh, plate count. So, and then I have to share, um, he's moved on from that life, although he still uh, makes products with funny sounding names like uh, Strawberry Diesel, Pink Rockstar, White Walker, Kush, uh, Sour OG. And so um, we will leave you to Google those things on your own to find out um, what Chris is uh, doing these days. But thank you for that, Chris. Uh, very, uh, very good and useful feedback. And there's, there, I think there's only certain states and jurisdictions where um, that's a safe for not you know, safe for work search. Yes, uh, exactly. So be careful. <laughs> yeah, be be very very careful. Uh, cool, awesome. Um, what else? What else we got in feedback here? Uh, got something from um, uh, Dan. Uh, uh, nope. <laughs> got, uh, got something uh, from. So, <laughs> well, I, I, it's the, the name. The name Ben is right in the uh, file. Uh, this is from our our listener, Deep Sex. Deep Sex. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> so Deep Sex, uh, whose name is not at all what Ben started to say. No. Uh, uh, he says, I, I want to thank you for your podcast. I'm an epidemiologist with a background in sexually transmittable diseases who suddenly found herself in a foodborne illness job. Your podcast saved me from making an idiot of myself many times because you explained concepts that I would have otherwise had to admit to our food safety team I didn't understand. And so there you go, folks. Here's another very valuable use of this podcast. When you change jobs and you, you don't want to be a poser, uh, you can get up to speed uh, really quick if you can make it through all the the hockey talk and uh, productivity talk, uh, you know, eventually we get down to get down to brass tacks. So thank you. Uh, thank you. Deep sex, uh, for, uh, for, for that, uh, for that feedback. Oh, deep sex. Oh, oh, wait, oh, wait, wait, wait. So, but so, so I'm sorry, we missed the point. So the main part, I got to read the second paragraph. The main purpose of this message, however, is to let you know about an advertising campaign that Australia pork is running. Um, are Ben, are you familiar with this, uh, this advertising campaign? I am not, I'm not advertising or I'm not familiar with this until until this uh this email came in yeah and i wonder i wonder i wonder if if doug is because so so basically the idea and this is you know this is standard barf blog uh, fodder. Um, uh, so Australian pork is running uh, an advertising campaign. Um, uh, pork on your fork, which is which is a pretty good pretty good name. Um, um, uh, the campaign is uh, cute and cheeky, but uh, in the new one, uh, the 
new campaign is called 622. Uh, they claim the best way to cook pork is for six minutes on one side, two minutes on the other, and then two minutes resting. Um, the longer version of the ad suggests how thick the pork should be, but there's a short version, which plays regularly on TV, that implies that any pork is best cooked 622. Um, none of the ads bother to tempt the meat. What do you think about this, Ben? Oh, this is exactly the type of thing that I'm so excited about having kitchens in my uh, building to go actually test this. My, um, I think it's like, I mean, going back to some of the stuff that we've done with cooking, uh, cooking shows as well as cookbooks. Um, I, my, I would hazard a guess that 622 is not a validated recipe, uh, mainly because it doesn't tell me much about the temperature at all, either, um, what, you know, medium, uh, heat or medium high, whatever that means. It's going to be different on so many different types of cooking tops and, uh, does it tell me anything about what the internal temperature should be? Nope, not at all. And I would love, I mean, th this is, th this is where I'd, I'd love to go, Don is, um, someone sends us this and then I just go downstairs and buy some pork and throw on a video and cook at 622 and temp, temp a bunch of them and be like, 622 is dumb or 622 in this case was fine, whatever it is, but it's not, this stuff's not as simple as, as, as those messages. Um, Although the next step that, you know, deep sex uh, points out that all they need to do is say, cook it to, um, you know, X temperature, 145 Fahrenheit, whatever that it translates to in Celsius, which I think it's like 62 or something Celsius, and then you'd be fine. But yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I know this is really, <clears throat> this is your area of expertise, but, uh, but you know, what occurred to me is. Well, maybe they could add a thickness of the meat. Um, so it would be like uh, one six two two, so less than one inch uh, six two two, um, and validate that. But your but your point about the you know, like you still need a you need a range temperature, right? Is yeah. it high heat? What is what is even high heat? Um, you know, it, so it makes it makes no sense, right? Because there's just too many uncontrolled variables. You just what if I lay it on my counter? for six minutes and then I flip it. Right. I mean, so, you know, you, you have to have a, you, you need more information if you want to have a, a validated recipe. Right. Or, or how did they come up with this? Right. I mean, what was the, what was the logic behind six, two, two, where's the science, right? Yeah. Don, I know how they came up with it. Actually. I don't know for sure, but my, here, here's my guess from experience in this area. There was a nutritionist or a chef that works for the pork council or the pork board that said, what's the tastiest way to make pork? And that's it, right? Like that, it's not what's the safest way uh, to make pork. Right. Um, I, uh, I told the story um, at Georgia, um, uh, uh, the Georgia Association for Food Protection uh, about our uh, battle with Gwyneth Paltrow and our cookbooks and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there, are, there are so many um, examples of just these unvalidated cooking procedures or recipes that are out there. And it's not new. I mean, that was the part of the story in the paper that we published, which is this work was done 25 years ago. And the, the results of that work um, said – uh, food safety people should uh, talk to publishers of cookbooks to get better food safety information in them. And 25 years later, the results of our study, same result, same, same thing, right? Like it's, you know, we, has anything progressed? Not, not really. And I say that kind of tritely because um, it's progressed in certain cases, actually. And I'll, I'll send you, I'll see if I can find this online for our notes. 
Um, but I'm going to forward you a picture um, of a recipe card that the corporate chef for Kroger gave me at the Georgia affiliate meeting that I thought was really, really awesome. Um, and the, uh, the, this recipe card has on one side, uh, a couple of recipes, one for, um, a lemon pecan chicken and one for ratatouille. And it involved in, in both, well, in the lemon pecan chicken specifically, it says, um, you know, inter, until internal, internal temperature reaches 170 degrees, um, on the chicken. And we can debate whether that's, you know, a quality, uh, uh, temperature or safety temperature or whatever. But what's the best is on the back side of this recipe card, the entire back side is uh, a, a, a um, uh, instructions on why it's important to have a food thermometer. Not just like, hey, use a food thermometer, but the entire real estate is you can't determine if food's fully cooked just by looking at it. Here's how to use a thermometer. Make sure you clean it. Um, here are the best types. Um, you know, here are some safe uh, internal temperatures. They're giving up a lot of real estate on that. What what I would see as a marketing piece to sell more of the products that that they have in the store, food products, the maybe higher margin products. Uh, to okay, well, we have an opportunity to tell people that it's important to use a food thermometer now. I like I like this. Um, there's yeah. there's one thing, and we <clears throat> we don't have a good way unless we can find it on their website. We there, there's one thing I don't like about uh, what's on the back. What's that? Can you you, you don't want to guess? Oh, I don't know. I can't. I'm no. You the, tell me. The thermometer. Oh, the thermometer is terrible. That's true. Yeah. It's a bimetal. Um, yes. By metal thermometer, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's not what we would recommend. Right. But right. tip, tip sensitive digital all the way, but, uh, but it's okay. I mean, uh, you know, that's, it's still a right. win, right? Still a win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, uh, baby steps. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, anyway, good, good stuff from, uh, from deep sex. Is yeah. that was now was deep sex. Was that a, is that a Star Trek, uh, series? Was that? Uh, yes, Deep Sex Nine. Deep Sex Nine. That's what I. That's what I thought. I re I re never watched it. I remembered it. I remembered it when it was. Yeah, yeah. So there's probably a porn movie oh, out there with that. I'm thing. sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, so I want to I want to move on next to uh, feedback from uh, Deep New England uh, listener, Deep New England, um, and this is this points out the the dangers of an audio uh, format. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, uh, deep, deep New England writes, uh, took me several tries to figure out, uh, that what Ben's gift was from his students, um, because, uh, she thought that it was a, a really cool new mug by, uh, the Japanese designer, <laughs> Pupamoji. P-U-P-A-M-O-J-I. Um, and, and she was like, wow, he really likes that design. And he keeps saying his name. What is so special about that design? Um, so, uh, yeah, so it was not. And in fact, I did. I just I typed. I wanted to see, you know, uh, uh, who this who this uh, poop emoji guy was. And so I typed poop emoji um, just the way it's spelled in the email um, into uh, Google. And uh, Google's first thing Google says is, did you mean poop emoji? Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and yes, that is, we did mean poop emoji, not poop emoji. So anyway, uh, so there is no Japanese designer named poop emoji, um, although that's a great name for a designer. So if you, if you want to ever go into the mug design business, uh, that name is still available near as I can tell. <laughs> I love thanks, it. <sighs> thanks. Uh, thanks to deep, uh, deep new England for that. Uh, oh, and, and, uh, yeah, she also sent a, a lovely audio file, uh, uh, of some stuff that she's working on, uh, called food safety mystery theater, um, which, uh, which is, which is good fun. So look for that. That should be coming out as an educational uh, tool, hopefully at some point. So, yes, yeah. I, this food, uh, this audio clip, um, that will, we won't, uh, not a spoiler alert, uh, or maybe a little bit, but it, it sound, it's, it's awesome. Um, and it reminded me of, uh, uh, kind of like an intro to an NPR show. There's some, there's some nice jazz behind it. Uh, it was quite, I liked it a lot. So, uh, good job, uh, deep new England. Oh, so Don, 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 we, we got to talk about thawing things. Okay. Um, this is the, this is a bit of a, um, uh, it's kind of a bit of a long one. It is. Um, do you want to, do you want to set this up? Do you want to, you, you have, you, you have, uh, provided the most amount of, um, uh, feedback and work on this. So. What, why don't you uh, why don't you jump in here? Sure. So this is feedback uh, from uh, the listener that we're going to call uh, Deep Crimson, um, and actually Deep Crimson, uh, as as is typical uh, for this, um, <laughs> this this particular. This is not. This is not. There are there are there are a number of fans that I would I would. So there are fans, Ben, and then there are fans that are. I don't want to call them super fans, but they are they are fans at a higher level, and yeah. they and they like to send us messages, and, and we appreciate it. Um, so, uh, uh, Deep Crimson reached out to us first um, uh, regarding uh, the issue of hot air uh, dryers versus paper towels. Has anyone ever come up with a suction device like a vacuum to achieve the same thing? If the airflow is reversed, would the sucking air out of the bathroom and disposing of it uh, perhaps be less risk? I, th- I think isn't that isn't that how the Dyson Airblade works? Doesn't it have? Uh, uh, or does it, or does it, it spray the water out the sides? It sprays the water out the sides. There's a a, a catchment sort of basin okay. at the at the bottom. It's definitely positive air, not okay. negative air. This is this kind of got me thinking and googling, and I couldn't find anything like this. Like I don't know if this this works. And I I mean I I I think this is a very cool idea. Um, and I hadn't. I don't know if we're um. Like if there are any engineers that listen to us that might know more about this, but I don't know if the blowing of air has a different level of friction compared to the sucking of air, mm. um, or or not. I mean, that's what we're what we're trying to accomplish um, with that, you know, forced air somehow. But I I, I thought Deep Crimson's I, idea. I I mean, I I'd never I'd never thought about this. Um, in the way that that was presented, and and I couldn't find anything like it. So yeah, so interesting idea. But anyway, then it segues into um, thawing, um, and uh, there's a, there's a lot of information here. But basically, it comes down to. Um, 
what are the best practices uh, for thawing, uh, let's say, 80 pounds of chicken breast, right? Uh, and and obviously there's a number of issues. One is uh, time temperature relationship, but another is if you're if these are raw chicken breasts uh, and you're putting them into water uh, directly, not in sort of a plastic bag or something. There's potential issues with Campylobacter and Salmonella. Um, so uh, yeah, so um, uh, so basically, let me see if I can distill it down. Um, uh, two issues. One, that thawing is insufficient. That leads to frozen meat being cooked. Uh, this is relatively low risk if it's whole muscle. Uh, the other issue, from my perspective, would be excessive thawing, which would lead to um, storage of meats uh, at elevated temperatures for long periods of time. Uh, I asked uh, this listener to provide some time and temperature information and ran some uh, computer modeling predictions. It turns out, I mean, you know, that there's a lot of what's in the food code is is pretty uh, pretty conservative in terms of safety if you run the, the modeling predictions. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, the bottom line is, is that the, it, that, that it sounds like from feedback from this listener is that there are not standard thawing practices. So when you, do, have you, have you developed any educational materials or have you done any talks on this particular topic? Cause I, I haven't, I've only just looking at it from the point of view of like, well, cross contamination is a risk. And yeah. you know, if you had times and temperatures, you could run some modeling predictions, but have you, have you, have you encountered this and, and what do you tell people? Not, not really. And I guess my, my most, uh, involved world of thawing has been on the consumer side of things. And, uh, coming back to a paper that was, um, produced out of Doug's lab when I was a master's student looking at thawing turkey specifically in, um, you know, in consumer chick in consumer kitchens. Uh, and that making the argument that, um, thawing, thawing on the counter, um, it, which is kind of a no, no message for consumers by lots of different groups is not a real science-based, um, no, no. Like it just seems like a bad idea, but from a um, from the published work and, and Pete Snyder is a real push for this um, as as well. That that's that's totally totally fine. I don't know why we tell people that they can't um, thaw on the counter. What we should be telling them is you can thaw in lots of different ways. They all have different risks, and if they do choose to thaw on the counter, that knowing what the uh, temperature of that outside like surface is and managing that by insulating it is a way to, to do it, to do it safely. But yeah, I haven't really developed any, anything, um, super, um, super focused on this. And, and I guess if we look at it, what would, I mean, we've got a, 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 a raw product with a lot of competing microorganisms, right? Like we've got, there's spoilage microorganisms, um, you know, you're going to have some, um, some gas formers and, and some spore formers, and you're going to have some yeast and there's going to be some mold and all that stuff's going to be really, really competing hard against the pathogens that, that are, that might be there. And with the thawing process, I think you're looking at, um, really it being, I, I think it's a staff aureus issue, right? Like, so it, as long as you are not, um, as long as you're controlling for, for staff and it's not a great competitor. So I, it, to me, it's one that I, I don't see it as, as a super high risk process. Yeah. And, but, but again, there's, there, there really seems to be 
you know, some some debate about this. And we, we will link to uh, the Barf blog post from 2008 entitled, Yes, Virginia, You Can Thaw Turkey on the Counter, uh, as well as um, the the article from uh, Pete Snyder's webpage uh, from 1999 on thawing at ambient temperatures on the counter. It's really, ultimately, it's about process control. And so yes. it's not it's not that counters are unsafe or uh, water is unsafe or thawing the refrigerator is unsafe. It's really about managing time and temperature and cross-contamination. And, and as long as you can do those two things, as I think I said at the beginning of this, this long um, discussion, um, that's all that really matters, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and that, that someone's paying attention um, to it. Right. Yeah, yeah right. Ab- absolutely. Uh, as a little tangent, I had a, a question that came up this morning, um, from, um, one of our area specialized agents, Debbie Stroud about, um, some of the stuff from that, uh, Frank Bryan danger zone, um, article that, that we linked to in the last episode that, that caused, uh, yeah, that, sure. that, uh, spurred deep crimson to talk to us a little bit about thawing and the idea of, the the really danger zone versus the not so danger zone and recommendation to consumers that's out there about um, yeah, uh, uh, this is all great at ambient temperatures using time as a public health control but what if your your food is outside what if it's at a far and this question really specifically came up about a farmers market what if someone is providing samples of tomatoes at a farmers market as a vendor and it's ninety five degrees out. Right. And maybe they have a canopy, but it's not in direct sunlight, but it's still, I mean, your ambient temperature is really, really hot. You're in that elevated danger zone area where you're going to get the best, best growth. And so the question was, um, you the, the, first of all, what's the, what's the reference for, um, one hour, um, at, at 90 degrees that's in a lot of the consumer messaging and, I think the roundabout answer is it, there isn't a specific reference, but the that Frank Bryan really well referenced Food Safety Magazine um, um, article kind of gives the justification for that that time um, a recommendation. But the question was, what if the tomatoes start? What if they're hot tomatoes that come off the um, come off the field as a raw agricultural commodity with not a whole lot of water activity. What if they start at 90 degrees and then you cut them, you know, can you use time as a public health control if it's 95 degrees out? And my answer back was, um, I'm think regulatory wise you could, well, I should, let me go back. I think you, you can't because you've got to start either hot or cold. Um, and then you can use this four hour time as a public health control, but, um, in a, in this situation, when it comes to sampling at a farmer's market, it's not re- in our state and in many States, it's not regulated. There's no, the food code's not going to apply to this giving away a sample. And that best practice would be if it's really, really hot out and you've got a TCS food that can support the growth, then you probably want to either keep that stuff on ice or get rid of it after an hour because of the Brian stuff. And that's kind of yeah, how, how and, I approached and, 
Yeah, and I would say we'll link to the PubMed link to modeling the growth of salmonella in cut red round tomatoes as a function of temperature, which is a paper out of my lab. Uh, and I'll read the, the last uh, the last line um, of the article, which is the Combase predicted consistently slower growth rates than were observed in tomatoes, but showed parallel increases in growth rate with increasing temperature. So in other words, um, if you plug in um, uh, pH and water activity or pH and salt content from tomatoes, uh, what you you see is that you get faster growth in, in tomatoes. And the other thing, and I'm, I'm going from memory here because it's been a while since I've looked at this paper, which was published in 2010. Um, that we did not see a lag phase, right? And Interesting. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the temperature, and, and again, typically, you know, tomatoes are not refrigerated, right? We studied, we studied a range of temperatures, but typically tomatoes would not be refrigerated. And so you're right, tomatoes could come out of the field at 90, you could cut them, and then, uh, you know, you could sort of them at 90, um, and, and with no lag phase of, of salmonella on those tomatoes. And um, you see, you get you get a one log increase pretty quick, um, and so yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's it's it grows fast, and and yeah, and you really uh, you really shouldn't leave them uh, sitting around for a long a long period of time, right? Um, you know, cut 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 fresh uh, tomatoes every hour, and then you know put a put a sticker on them and dump them after an hour um, because it's not. Um, you know, again, probably there's no tomato, there's no salmonella on those tomatoes. But if there is, uh, your risk has increased significantly, uh, even in as little as an hour. I, again, I don't have the paper right up in front of me, but um, yeah, it's and I, I do I do seem to recall uh, CFP looked at this a number of years ago. There was a CFP committee, and I think I might have even ran some run some modeling calculations for them. And uh, yeah, if, especially if there's no lag phase and you start off at ambient, um, you can you can get some you can get some significant increase in salmonella in not very much time at all. Huh. And yeah, really, uh, really interesting one, and one that uh, that's the space for you and I and and the rest of the world of extension because. If a, if a farmer's market vendor has that question, in lots of jurisdictions, the environmental health folks or the Department of Agriculture, whoever is regulating the rest of that farmer's market, um, if it's not food for pay, um, you know, at least in our state, this is how it's handled. It's, they, there's no – there's not even like, okay, I can recommend it. It's outside of our jurisdiction. I can't give you any information on it, um, which is kind of an in interesting place to be at. Um, cool. Hey, I want to – I think that's it for listener feedback. Is that is that correct? Am I missing? No, that's it. I want to jump to something else. Uh, okay. A, a little bit. Um, I want to talk about, of course, uh, something that's not in uh, the in our um, in our super secret uh, 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 Dropbox file. But it's uh, something that came up um, earlier this week that I'm going to text you about. Um, and it's related to um, fresh herbs um, and uh, an FDA sampling uh, assignment. And I don't know if, if this came across your um, your email or anything about this, but um, I'm going to set the stage here. So, uh, oh, before before you yeah. do that, before you do that. Uh, sorry, I did. I did take a find a copy of our paper online. And if you if you plug in uh, 35 degrees C um, and you do a little bit of math to convert from the square root of the growth rate, basically what the model says is you get more than a half a log increase in one hour at 35 degrees C. And so basically, Man. 
at two hours at 35 degrees C, you you uh, have more than a one log increase, which microbiologists would agree is a significant risk. So that just to just to put some 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 closure to that and and to put a number to it. So anyway, just a little bit of uh, uh, real time uh, follow up. Good, good. And now I have a much better reference uh, for for that. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we do this. That's awesome. Exactly. Um, okay, so. Uh, fresh herbs, um, guacamole, processed avocado. Uh, these are things that are on um, FDA's uh, assignment list. Basically getting a sense of how what, what kind of contamination rates are out there, what kind of pathogens are there. And so um, in um, – Last year, um, FDA announced that they were going to do this assignment. They planned to collect 1,600 samples uh, for each of these assignments. And I want to read directly from um, this, a constituent update that came out on February 23rd. As of January 1st, 2018, the agency had collected 35 domestic samples and 104 import samples um, the to- of the total for fresh herbs. None of the domestic samples tested positive. Um, it doesn't say for what. Uh, in, of the 104 import samples tested. For any of the things that they're testing for. I guess yeah. so, yeah. Um, import samples tested. Sal- for, Salmonella, E. coli, yeah. Yeah, sh- salmonella, um, sugar pro- toxin-producing E. coli, and uh, e. coli, and, and a subsection of that of E. coli 157H7. Um, so of the 104 import samples tested, four tested positive for salmonella, three tested positive for shiga toxin-producing E. coli, and none tested positive for E. coli 157H7. Um, these samples are uh, in fresh herbs. F- f- the, the specific herbs are fresh cilantro, fresh parsley, and fresh basil. Don, that's all the information they give. I have a problem with this, right? So here's the thing. I, the reason why I have a problem is because I got a call from Dow Jones um, from the uh, not not the actual uh, Dow Jones, um, uh, not, uh, not Mr. Jones himself. Yeah, not Dow, not not Dow, but uh, from uh, Nicole Lynn Pesci, who is uh, reporting uh, for Moneyish.com, which is a Dow Jones publication, and. Um, she said she she asked me about what what does this mean. I mean, that was the first the, you know, the first question. And my answer is I don't know because in this update, FDA doesn't tell you what any of these products. So they say we sampled cilantro, parsley, and basil. They don't tell you how many. And they say we had some positives, but they don't tell you on what. And they don't say whether it was co-contaminated. So are we looking at zero parsley, zero basil, and all cilantro? And four of those cilantro samples testing positive for both um, or testing for positive for salmonella and three of those four testing positive for um, Aztec or is it spread across all three of these herbs? I don't know. And I I really appreciate um, an update. I, I mean, in fact, this is something way more in detail than what we have seen in the past, which is really really great. And in fact, I'm I'm happy about um the past federal administration's focus on transparency um in the process has carried forward through this. 
um, in, in this current, you know, 13 months into this current administration who's not really all about transparency. But this is like at least sell, telling people, hey, here is an update. Unfortunately, the update is without any teeth. It doesn't it just tells me there were some positives and and, and it, it 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 is it becomes a problem um, because there's no there's no real information on to put it into context. Um, so what I did when I talked to uh, to Nicole was um, highlight the uh, now defunct USDA AMS. Um, Agriculture Marketing Service run microbiological uh, data um, program where um, over time assignments like this came up in the marketing service and cilantro is something that we had talked about in multiple podcasts being uh, contaminated at a, at a higher rate than many other things. Um, in fact, like depending on what the year was, is up as high as 8% um, when it came to, to salmonella. Um, and, and so my guess is, and this is where you get into this speculation with no context. If you had to ask me what, which of the products was more likely to have salmonella on it based on that information, I'd say, well, maybe all those salmonella is coming in from, uh, cilantro, but I don't, I mean, I just don't know that, um, for sure. Um, and, and so, so that was where our conversation went. And really what, what I said to, to Nicole was, I could tell you some of this, but, um, this is really a question for FDA. Um, and so that's a, um, a kind of a, a tough one because I don't know exactly what they're doing. And it looks like from the article that Nicole wrote, she wasn't able to get any comment um, from FDA further than you know, what was in the uh, um, what was in that up- constituent update. Right. And clearly they know, right? Like to come up with these numbers, you have to know what the composite information is. And the other thing, which is what I thought your point was going to be, because it didn't even occur to me that the <clears throat> lack of resolution, but that's a lot of percent, right? Like yeah. almost almost 7% of fresh herbs are positive for either salmonella or pathogenic E. coli. That is a lot. Yeah. A lot, a well, lot, a lot. And well, and if you if they're if it's all from cilantro, it's huge. It's huge, right. Yeah. Right. If we if we knew if we knew it was all from cilantro and we knew how much cilantro they tested, we could calculate that number, but we don't know either of those two things. So yep. it's a little it's a little odd. I mean, like why why tell us this? It's <laughs> it's it's, it's yes. not it doesn't it doesn't really give us any actionable information except to say FDA is doing stuff and they're finding stuff and and they're finding a lot of stuff and they're finding more and imported than they are domestic. But but it really. Yeah, it leaves it leaves you wanting um, just a tiny bit more, like like you could you could have rewritten this. It's the Web, first of all. So you're not constrained on space, but you could have rewritten the same article w- with fewer words and given way more information. Right. Well, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, the I, I think the, you're right with your word of the resolution, right? So, yes, here it says that domestic um, in in the whatever samples that they took um, had had no um, positive um, you know contamination of these pathogens. But what we also don't know is they you know they collected 35 domestic samples. Well, were all 35 of those basil, and the 104 import samples were they all cilantro? Right. Like if it's it just doesn't tell like even that we can't make any real conclusions on because they don't tell us anything about the samples. So it's kind of this weird update that's not really an update. 
Like, well, and they, they, they did they did tell us, Ben, that the 35% domestic samples, that's 4.6% of the total samples they intend to collect. And and the 104 import samples, that's 12.4% of the total for fresh herbs. So, you know, Progress. They, they, do, they do give us some, some – and we know that there's going to be 1,600 total. Well, guess what, Ben? I probably could have done the math myself and come up with those percentages. What I'd rather know is the percent positive for, for the specific pathogen on the specific produce items. Yeah, well, so Deep FDA, because we know we have some uh, Deep FDA uh, listeners. When you're listening to the podcast on your as a hobby, um, if you want to call us on a secret back channel, uh, we will talk. Just tell, tell us why. Give us some more information on this. Yeah, why Why is there Why is there no resolution to this data? It's, it's, it's you know, so, and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to piss off my FDA colleagues, no, but no. either it's it's incompetence or you're you're obscuring something deliberately, and I just like to know which and why. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, here in the um, in this update is it gives us a little more information here, where because it's specific to avocados and guacamole, and so um, there are other uh, samples, sixteen hundred samples for an assignment specific to um, processed uh, avocado guacamole. Um, and three of those, uh, products, uh, tested positive for listeria monocytogenes, um, uh, in domestic samples and one imported sample, uh, positive for listeria monocytogenes. Um, and, and yeah, the, I, I, this is again, not, not super surprising. Um, Nicole in our conversation asked about why would we look for this? And so I talked about shelf life of these types of products, um, a guacamole product that, um, or that not without knowing what the pH is, but may be able to support growth being refrigerated for quite some time, especially in good packaging where there's not oxidation. So the color of that avocado doesn't change, um, really could, could lead to, um, issues, but, and I'm going to come back to something that you and I have talked about a lot here, um, with, Listeria and and again, I just I, positives matter way more for Salmonella and E. coli. Enumeration matters here for for monocytogenes, um, and a one cell per serving of guacamole of Listeria versus uh, you know a hundred thousand cells. We're looking at a totally different risk. Um, and, and so I, I kind of wish that they would report not just a positive, but here are the contamination rates. That's an update. Well, and Ben, I just did a little bit of math because, you know, I can, I do math sometimes. Um, the percentages aren't even correct. Okay. If you take 35 and you divide it by 800, because it's, it's 1600, you know, you know, 1600 domestic and yeah. imported split, um, it's it's not even the right number, right? If you take if you take thirty five, and you divide it by eight hundred, it's it's four point three percent. If you if it's if it's thirty seven percent, if it's thirty seven samples, then it actually rounds to four point six percent. And so and the same for one hundred and four. If you take one hundred and four and you divide by eight hundred, um, the number is thirteen uh, percent. So um, if you let's Weird. see, two. One, 
Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, or maybe, maybe the numbers aren't evenly divided between imported and domestic. It doesn't, but then, but if you do the math on the guacamole, the, the numbers on the guacamole come out correct. So I, I'm very confused by this. Um, yeah, 99 out of 800 would round up to 12.4%. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just scratching my head. I should have asked Don Zink about this when I had him yesterday. Oh, he, he's, it's not his watch. I know, but he would have, you know, he'd have a comment. He would have a comment. Have, he that's what I meant. Comment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, this uh, what does it tell us? Not much. Um, are you the, the what I what I told Nicole was? She asked me if I was surprised that fresh herbs and or uh, guacamole processed avocado would have um, pathogens in it, and my answer was no. Nope. Not surprised at all. Nope. Um, and here's why. And this is why we have issues. And this is probably why. Um, there's, a some cyclospora stuff going on. It's probably related to fresh herbs and or, uh, avocados, uh, as, as well. That's my guess, uh, based on, uh, historical, uh, contamination. So, uh, yeah, not, not surprised. And it's, and consistently I answer, you know, when people want to ask us questions about foods that we eat and why we eat them and why we don't eat foods, I tell people readily about the foods I don't eat, but I also try to follow that up with what's the food that I eat consistently that is the riskiest and absolutely this to me uh this doesn't reinforce it but the old mdp data does i eat a pretty good amount of cilantro and pico de gallo um and in other you know types of um mexican inspired dishes and it's probably the riskiest thing that i eat um you know actually when it gets consumed uh because i'm not doing a whole lot to it to reduce risk Yep. Yep. Hey, so, uh, so is there something going on with cyclospora right now? Well, I just, I guess, I mean, not, not right now, but there, um, there was a cyclospora, um, or sorry, I might be confusing my, uh, parasites. Maybe it was a cryptosporidia. Uh, w- wasn't there some, an outbreak, uh, last year that was pretty large and not, um, yeah, here you go. Um, this is in the fall. Um, th- over a thousand people sick and and no product that was identified. Okay, I, the only reason I asked that is that there you mentioned it, and then in the same uh, FDA uh, information, it says that the agency t- intends to test for cyclospora during the summer months when cyclospora related illnesses typically occur. So I just uh, I just wanted to to yep. just try to connect that. So. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, we'll link to this in the um, in the show notes, but uh, there was a. Uh, outbreak investigation in 2017, um, looking at the epi curve, very much uh, more likely to see these illnesses in the summer. First case started in May. Uh, looks like the outbreak was over in September with most of the illnesses coming in July. July, yep. Um, and, uh, but, you know, uh, 1,065 laboratory confirmed cases of cyclospora in 2017. Um uh, over uh, 50% of these people had no international travel. Um, and, it, you know, uh, what CDC highlighted here was previous outbreaks have been linked to basil, cilantro, mescaline lettuce, raspberries, and snow peas. Um, and so, yeah, I would, if I was looking for cyclospora, I would expect to see it on some fresh herbs as well. And uh, yeah, and so all of those cases, but no, uh, no vehicle identified. Nope, nope. Exactly. Wow. And, and cyclospora, I, I, 
it, it would be useful to have someone who knows more, a little more about epidemiology and how CDC does these investigations. But my guess with cyclospora, this isn't a whole genome sequence type thing, right? Like the, the this is these are ca these are case confirmed um, uh, cases, but are are doing um, not you know, and I assume that because it doesn't say um, in here that they're using whole genome sequencing. Right. And so it could be uh, overlapping cases, right? These are just cyclosporiasis, right? We yeah. don't know that they were caused by the same um, uh, serotype. And so it might be multiple vehicles, right? And it just be, uh, you know, and that by, might be part of the reason why they couldn't find anything is that there's no way of parsing the cases. Okay, you, you, ate, um, you ate basil, you ate cilantro, you ate raspberries, right? Um, and it just could be all of those just sort of peak in the summer and they go down uh, in the fall and uh, they're all mixed together. Yep. Yep. And I'm going to let me read something from this uh, about um, I'll link, we'll link to this, uh, uh, a advanced molecular detection project on detecting intestinal diseases from CDC that was linked in that outbreak um, in 2017 project update. So before this advanced um, molecular detection program began in 2014, there were no genomic sequences of um, cyclospora available. And um, and this is a specific species cyclospora. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this. Do you know? Chiatinensis. Thank you. Chiatinensis. I would have said something different with my Canadian pronunciation. Um, but through so you like up until this update in 2017, there were genomic sequences from 19 samples, so obviously not the thousand illnesses. Um, and in 2017, investigators will continue evaluating potential genetic markers for identifying um, genotypes of chitinensis uh, and improved detection. But so this is you know not we're not looking at the same epidemiological tools available for, say, listeria monocytogenes or um, you know, salmonella serotypes, which is another, I mean, a nuance to this, right? Like that, right. that, that is, it's important because we can't, we can't always look at an, a, a parasitic outbreak the same as a um, bacterial outbreak for that reason. We don't, we don't know. These may just be overlapping cases. Yep. Yep. Cool. Absolutely. Cool, cool, cool. Um, what? I had something else I was going to talk to you about. Oh, 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 Don. Russian trolls. Yes. Holy crap. <laughs> okay, so um, our uh, – I don't know if he's – I think he's listened to a couple podcasts. I wouldn't, wouldn't uh, call him – he's a friend of ours, not uh, not friend of the pod yet. Um, we haven't had him on, but – Mm -hmm. um, Frank, Frank Giannis, uh, who's a, mm -hmm. um, ex exec dude at Walmart does food safety. I don't know what his exact title is vice, vice president of food safety. That's I think kind of what I thought it was, but I want, I wanted to make sure, um, he, uh, shared something on, um, uh, either Twitter or in Facebook about, um, uh, this, a story from the wall street journal that was published last week that I found extremely fascinating. And so the title of this article, and we'll link to this um, in show notes, but just be aware there's a paywall for this. I can get it on campus, but I couldn't get it at home. Um, Russian trolls tweeted disinformation long before U.S. election. Um, it, this is a, a really nice detailed piece from um, Rob Berry and Shane Shiflett uh, talking about um, 
uh, other types of crises that the same Russian um, bot-driven information um, uh, group that that has been linked to sort of this, you know, uh, warehouses in in St. Petersburg, I think, uh, pumped out in 2014 about other U.S. crises. And one had a food safety bent on it. It was about contaminated um, uh, turkey and turkey making making people sick. Um, and so, for in, for instance, in this article, here's a sample of messages from the Russian Twitter users sent on Thanksgiving 2015 um, from Adriana Mift. OMG, my stomach hurt. Uh, hurts and I ate turkey today. Uh, hashtag fail. Hashtag Walmart. Hashtag Coke Farms. Hashtag New York. Um, then uh, Kat Kelly uh, retweets something from another uh, you, know, um, you know Russian user retweet at Ertman Greta. This hashtag Thanksgiving. My sister will be in the hospital. Thank thank you. Hashtag Coke Farms and hashtag Walmart. Um, anyway, just like. A whole bunch of um, stuff out there with the idea of creating um, uh, a chaos, and I—I I mean, I just found this absolutely fascinating. Um, and there are some really great graphics that show tweets by minute that go through the entire like how this um, turkey campaign unfolded. You can track. Um, and the Wall Street Journal did some fantastic investigative journalism uh, tracking IP addresses and who is this. Um, and it just like it, it was just I, I don't know. I thought it was so such an interesting, uh, fascinating thing. And there were a bunch of cultural memes uh, that were used, including maybe one of my favorite ones uh, uh, that was used an animated image from the 1973 horror film, The Exorcist, uh, of uh, someone who's uh, possessed of vomiting in a hospital bed. Um, so uh, how did this fall? So it wasn't just like, hey, there's a bunch of ch chatter on the internet. Walmart had to deal with this. Um, the article talks about um, goes on to say the day after Thanksgiving, USDA received a complaint alleging a New Yorker had been hospitalized by tainted turkey. The complaint couldn't be investigated because the contact information was invalid. Um, and then a spokesperson from New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene also said the agency had no record of any food poisoning episodes matching the details in the accounts. Um, and so anyway, just um, it was pretty, pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate that the article's behind a paywall. I may I may just have to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal just because you know supporting journalism. There's also a um, uh, Daily Mail uh, UK Daily Mail uh, article uh, which which is not behind a paywall, which we will also link to. But uh, but yeah, this is uh, to me it's just it's fascinating. Like it's it's almost I mean, and I think this was in. Frank's tweets or in some of the commentary, it was almost like they were just kind of testing out uh, their ability to uh, to do this kind of uh, this kind of misinformation campaign. Right. Like, hey, let's test that out with something that we know will get some traction and we'll have some movement. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, how about how about this? Uh, just before we uh, move on from this. Um, the uh, again, from this article, the onslaught of food poisoning claims was shocked to Brock Stein, an executive of a turkey company that the hoaxers said supplied tainted turkey to Walmart. Mr. Stein said the company, Pennsylvania-based Coke Turkey Farms, doesn't sell turkey to Walmart. They don't Right, it, right. I read that. Yeah. yeah. And then um I you know I think the more most interesting piece and and again just the pervasiveness of 
um, of this, you know, onslaught of, of meddling and, um, you know, trying to create chaos, at least 29 of the Twitter users who repeated the food poisoning claims appear to remain active on Twitter as of last month. Um, and wow. And so these are literally the Russian bots, right? I mean, yeah. these are people um, who are tweeting information that is proven fake. Yeah. And still, you know, still active. And it's, I mean, still it's active. quite a task. Mm. So anyway, just I, uh, up until the point that, um, uh, that Frank had, had tweeted about this, I hadn't, I hadn't heard anything about it. And this was I, definitely the most interesting article I've read since we talked last. So yeah. check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably, you know, it, it look, I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal uh, website right now. It uh, looks like you can subscribe um, for a dollar for two months. So you should probably do that if you want to read. It's probably worth a dollar to read this article. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So what else What else you want to talk about? Oh, I don't know. Um, we, uh, we've been going for an hour and 30 minutes. Um We've covered all the listener feedback. We have. Uh, we've talked about a bunch of other stuff. Um, what else we got here? Uh, Amazon's talking at the Food Safety Summit. <laughs> okay. That, oh, I did see that. Yeah. Uh, we um, Just to go back on a little story that you and I were part of uh, a while ago on um, – uh, our ability to order a recalled product from Amazon, the I Am Healthy Soy Nut Butter that was um, uh, started by uh, our good friend, friend of the podcast who downloads it, and close colleague Linda Harris. I tell that story at, at a lot of talks just to, the, uh, to highlight the um, you know changing distribution chains. But um, uh, in the not all heroes wear capes all the time, uh, hashtag, uh, uh, some of the work that, that Linda, you know, pushed and got covered, uh, might've led to Amazon taking food safety, uh, to another step. So they're going to talk about what they do for food safety at the food safety summit in Rosemont, Illinois on Wednesday, excuse me, Wednesday, May 9th. Yep. And we'll link to the, um, food engineering magazine, uh, website, uh, page on that. So yeah, good for, good for Amazon for speaking up, uh, about this. Cool. Um, I think that's a show. I think so. I think it's, that's it. Well, um, yeah. Thanks again for all the feedback. Um, and, um, we'll, uh, we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. Uh, all right. So bye-bye, Don. Bye.
Cool. Good stuff. Oh, so, so this, yeah, yeah, this was good. Um, so this one's yours. This one's mine. Yep. And I should be able to get this up if not tonight, tomorrow, because uh, hockey's over. Yeah, there you go. Wow, it's like you have uh, like a whole lot of free time. Oh my gosh, yes. And Danny has a show tomorrow, and it's at a brewery, so oh. it's awesome. From ten till four, she's selling stuff. I'm gonna take the boys over, drink some beer. So tomorrow morning, I'll, I'll be able. All to three go. of you are gonna drink beer. Sure. Well, someone. Well, one of the kids has to drive home, so. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, Where's my bell? Where's my bell? <laughs> <laughs> so i mean we'll i we'll figure out who it is but um but maybe, maybe they could do it together like one could one could work the pedals and the other could uh, drive the you know run the steering wheel we have we I, i've got a, a set up like in uh indiana jones and the temple of doom um with a short round you know you you wear that yeah. movie you know yes i i am got those big blocks that they put on the uh, yeah yeah we got that we, we do that in our house so um, yeah, it makes it, makes it much better. Uh, you know, if I, if I have two or three beers, uh, then, you know, kids will flip for it. And, uh, then the other one will, will work the, the radio. I'll have a nap in the back and the other one will drive. No, that's not going to happen. Please don't come arrest me. <laughs> um, so let's look at, uh, when we might want to do this again. Sure. What I mean, truthfully, what about two weeks today? I know. Oh, Fridays. Sorry, let's not do that because I know Fridays are not your preferable day. Exactly, and I that is not the day that we need to do it. Uh, right. Do you do you want to try and do two podcasts on the same day? Because yeah, you want to do that on the fifteenth. Yeah. Okay, let's do that right afterwards. I'm free. Okay, I'm I'm free too. So okay. I don't know how long that's going to take, but let's let's pencil in eleven a.m. or something. Okay. Yeah, because we're not going to talk. I mean, we're not going to talk for two hours with them, right? No, I don't think. I don't think so. And then at least we're all in our in our setup. Yep. Um. All right. Done. Cool. So, okay, so I've got that in eleven a.m. Oh yeah, I've got it in for eleven to one. Okay, so. Do, 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 done, done, done. Yeah, and I have this one. Um, so that's a go. Any uh, any good uh, titles come to mind? Oh, I wasn't. Uh, yeah, the, we said some funny things. I Nothing. I don't remember I don't any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've really just categorized the entire, like, the entire history of the podcast. Is, yeah, exactly. We've said some funny things. I, I don't remember funny any things, of them. but I don't remember any of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. And and I'm. It's more like I'm sure we said some funny things. I'm sure that. we said some I'm funny things. Positive of it. All right. Uh, cool. Well, if you could, um, throw the little links links yep. in, and then I'll uh, I'll start messing around with this now. What What do you Sounds think I good. should do? I may just post pictures of this Kroger thing on Barf Blog and then link to it. Link to that, sure. Yeah, I'm, or if I, I'll see if I can find it online somewhere. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, I think that's it. All right. I'll see. You. Oh, oh, wait, wait. So you get in around one o'clock on this is uh, uh some what is it opsi op op opsec opsec not not compromise my opsec operational yeah. security yeah um you you get in around one o'clock on Sunday and yeah you, one o'clock to Vegas time and you are at. You were also at the Cosmopolitan, is that correct? I am. Okay. Well, then I'll just text you because I think I get in at one thirty. Okay. Um, and I, um, I so I, I think I did I tell you I've never been to Vegas before. 
you did tell me. We talked about this on the last episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not like into gambling. Are you, do you like, is that something you don't strike me as someone who would be interested in gambling? No, I mean, I like, you know, I theoretically, if you can count cards, you can win at blackjack, but I'm, I don't have the memory for that, um, or the inclination to learn. Yeah, um, but like no, it's work. just like, I, I find casinos honestly to be very depressing. Mm. Um, just because it's full of people that, um, you know, are like, don't have the money that are for the most part who are just putting it into slot machines. Um, I also, because of the way casinos are designed, they are designed to be disorienting and I don't, I don't like, I don't like knowing where I am or where I'm trying to get to. So the whole, the whole thing just, uh, kind of, yeah, just kind of creeps me out. Yeah. I'm, I, I am, I'm going to like take some some money to just like gamble <laughs> because i'm there to do it once and be like yep done it but i'm also not i've i yeah I'm, it's not it's not my thing um but i'm like oh yeah i'll throw some money into a slot machine be like oh look at that there's ten dollars is gone um we used to go Dan, when danny lived in halifax when she went to school there there was a casino and when she was there and I'd visit her, we'd go there because um, if you, you know, sat at a table or a slot machine, people would just bring you drinks and it was free. And when we had no money um, and and like would pay like a dollar, you know, card games or 25 cent slots, um, it was a cheap way to get alcohol. <laughs> And that was well, the, right. and that's, been my experience. And that's, yeah, and that's what they do in Vegas too, is that they will bring you not very good cheap drinks uh while you sit there and, and gamble. So yeah. um yeah, so it is it is a, it can be a cheap way to drink depending upon the quality of alcohol that you would like to drink and, and your ability how fast you lose money. So it it may or may not be cost effective, <laughs> right. but yeah. Yeah. I'm also not really in that space anymore in my like <laughs> what, yes. what's the best way for me to stretch my um, limited college student budget on cheap alcohol. Exactly. So, um, yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, I'll, I'm, what I am kind of looking forward to is just like walking around the, you know, the, the chaos that is Las Vegas. Like there's, there's stuff, right? Like you can see right. things. Right. Um, so cool. Anyway, I'll, uh, I'll see you on Sunday. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.